Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we talk about a few upcoming films like Trolls and The Edge of Seventeen, as well as some drama in the awards world as members of the Broadcast Television Journalists Association have resigned in the wake of a controversy. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Miss Sloan star Jessica Chastain, so stick around. Okay, everyone, I'm back with Janelle Riley. Good morning. Back on a last name basis. <laughs> what did I do? It's, Why are we so horrible? <laughs> it's November. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Wow. My birthday's coming up. Oh, really? What is it? Scorpio. 15th. Uh, I'll see if you can get a cake if you're here, because I've been here three years and have never gotten a cake for my birthday. Wow. And in the meantime, one of my coworkers got two cakes. Shade. On one day last week. Crazy shade. The important thing is I'm not bitter. Do they know what your birthday is? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I make helps. a big production okay. every year. <laughs> In fact, this year they made a big thing about how, like, we will get you a gluten-free cake, because I went gluten-free recently. Uh, um, I'm sure you want to hear all about that. Yeah. Um, I've tried and it. And then my birthday rolled around, and it was like, no cake, no gluten-free cake, no card. <laughs> so sad. I know. We're starting this problems. episode on a, on a, on a high note. <laughs> Well, let me bring it way down. Billy Lynn's long last crap. Long halftime. Long halftime. You're the one who saw it. Why? Am I know. Well, I, I always get it, it wrong. I always. It's long. It's Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Is it long? It. No, actually, it's fine on length. Yeah. But it's just misguided artistically. I'm so sorry to hear that. In my opinion, I mean, obviously, we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with New York Film Festival. It seemed to just crash and burn yeah. there. And rightfully so, apparently. Fin- oh, well, I finally got a look at it here, and uh, yeah, I, that high frame rate, I actually thought it was only used for the war scenes. It's not? It's in the entire movie. Ooh. So from frame one, I was just like, oh, no. And didn't they screen it at some weird theater where you got It was like, at a Dolby theater, theater, which is actually like a grading stage or something like that. It was a, it was a top-notch oh, space, it was. Oh, but okay. it was funny because it's like tucked in, you know, where the... Uh, is it the Redbury Hotel? I can't remember the name of it. It's basically in like CD Hollywood. You feel like you're walking. Yeah. It's next to the Showgirls place. You know oh, the Showgirls. Wow. Oh, do it's, I? I feel, oh. <laughs> it's it's like you're going back into some speakeasy or strip club, and there's no signage or anything. It's it's really interesting. But anyway, neither here nor there. The movie. Although I will say, yeah. sometimes a good screening room can enhance my experience. If I see a movie oh, yeah. at like the London Hotel screening room, That's I'm a good pretty one. happy. Four Seasons, new, their new room is great. They have a screening room? They do. I didn't know this. It's where I saw La La Land. It's awesome. Oh, wow. Made me like it even more. But uh, yeah, it's... Look, I respect the hell out of Ang Lee. Obviously, we've talked about he pushes you know, the boundaries from time to time. And I, I guess he was going to use this for his Joe, Joe Frazier movie. Oh, really? The frame rate thing. And so he used it for this. And it's just... First of all, the move the story is not really a movie to me. That's kind of what I've heard. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not a movie. Uh, maybe it's a uh, fine on the, on the page as a book, but it's not really cinematic. And when you bend over backwards to make it cinematic with something like this, it just kind of it's not good. It's when not does good. this movie come out to the general November eleventh? Wow, that's yeah, soon. two weeks. Okay, that's so, why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, and where are they going to show it? Well, there's going to be. I came to find out there was like two or three projectors rigged and ready to go here in LA. Wow. Which they were acting like they didn't have anything. Right. So that's I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. There's like four versions of the movie. There's 2K, there's 4K, there's 120, there's 48, and then there's regular 24 frames. It's just like, 
give me one version of your movie. Right. You know, give me you're your, not your, Lucas, And I know he has God. his singular vision, which is probably the 4K, 120, you know. But if you're not able to show that, like, en masse, like, why why spend time on it? And I feel like the, the experiment played itself out with The Hobbit. Yes, exactly, so. which I just, I couldn't stand to look at at a certain point. I actually wait, was anxious for it to come out on DVD so I could just watch it yeah. on DVD and hopefully it would look better. Yeah, well, and it didn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know I couldn't get through it. I yeah. can't believe that's the only Peter Jackson film I've never finished. Yeah, with, with all of them or just... Well, no, I saw the first Hobbits in uh, in a screening. Yeah. And my friend likes to remind me that she could tell by my breathing how much I was hating every second of it. <laughs> Um, and then I just gave that up. That was on the me. Rest. I was sitting next to De Bruges and, and Justin Chang, <laughs> and I was I was probably kind of audible. But it's hard not to just sigh know, when you right. you see Garrett Hedlund just like in motion blurring. And when thing, dwarves are bad. singing, and oh god! Oh, you're talking about the Hobbit still. I'm thinking. Oh, I'm, I'm so like, sorry. where are the dwarves? In? <laughs> there are dwarves in Ang Lee's new movie. You know, I guess Ang Lee has. It's to... a hell of a halftime show. <laughs> it's a hell of a halftime show. That, by the way, that's that's. That is what the tech is good for. The whole thing leads to this uh, halftime show with Beyonce, who they kind of treat like Jesus and Ben Hur, like as like, well they should. <laughs> like, Are you not a member of Beyonce? the Bayhive? <laughs> I'm not, but I, I mean, I love Beyonce. I'm just those people are crazy. Um, hey, I'm uh, doing a QA with Jamie Dornan today. You don't need to tell me about uh, yeah. fans. But that's what it's good for, like a live concert. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're there. You want to feel like you're there. I don't want to feel like I'm there for just. Drama for right. for a drama for for for, a, guy for a movie in yeah yeah like that doesn't yeah. really heighten anything but for something like concert footage or sports feeling like you're there is kind of cool and when that stuff happens in the movie the frame rate really pops you're just really? like wow this is awesome and it made me realize like it's a shame this is just a part of a drama movie it'd be cool if this was like a Timberlake concert or yeah. something like that you know but the high but, frame rate aside you're saying the movie overall is really not yeah good, even right? just as a story it's yeah. it's really. This is what I've heard, which is why I chose to skip the screening and get some much-needed sleep last week. But I, w- I will see it because I'm an yeah. angly completionist. So You should. I mean, you should see it to know what he tried to do yeah. and he how I think he failed. every and... now and then. Like, I remember yeah. um, taking Woodstock or mm-hmm. finding Woodstock. Taking, taking Woodstock. Yeah, you know, it, di- it didn't work, yeah. but, mm-hmm. you know, then his next three movies did. Yeah. So He'll be right back in the thick of it. Yes, Meanwhile, though, you uh, I haven't seen The Edge of Seventeen. Oh, but yes, you have. on the opposite end of the spectrum, a movie... I mean, I actually did have hopes for it because I had heard really good things. Um, it played so late in Toronto that I just feel like it kind closing of... Closing night, right? Maybe, yeah, I think. I think it was closing night. I just feel like it kind of missed out on the buzz it might have gotten had it premiered sooner. And, you know, the trailers had me optimistic. I met the writer-director, and, you know, James L. Brooks has his name on it, and he mm-hmm. was, like so excited like really passionate about it like I ran into him at a, at a Simpsons event mm-hmm. and he was just talking up the movie so much you could tell that you know it wasn't just lip service mm-hmm. uh, so I was finally able to see it and you know I, I don't even know what to compare it to and maybe I shouldn't maybe that would be a disservice but like if Juno could go on to be nominated for Oscars mm-hmm. I think Edge of Seventeen might actually even be better mm-hmm. or just more my speed like Haley Steinfeld is Is it that kind of movie? Uh, you know, that's the thing is I hate comparing because it's so reductive, but yeah. it is about, you know, a teenage girl sort of coming of age. She's not pregnant, but right. she's dealing with, you know, what is the end of her world in that her jock older brother falls in love with her only friend. Mm-hmm. And you know, and now she's sort of alone and an outcast um, who used to be an outcast with a friend, you 
know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like handled so intelligently and it's just so funny. How's I Woody mean, Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, my God. <laughs> he is he plays just the seen it all, been there <laughs> teacher who like, you know, she comes in, it's it's in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. And she like unloads her angst on him and says she's gonna commit suicide and he's like, Me too. Like I just wrote my suicide note and it's about this girl that won't stop bugging me during my lunch hour. <laughs> And he's he's. I, if he had a little more screen time, I would be like pushing him yeah. for Oscar consideration. Yeah. He's just. There are very few people who can pull off something that dark and still be lovable and funny. And he gets some sweet moments too. I mean, the whole cast actually. Uh, Kira Sedgwick as oh, yeah. her widowed mother has some great moments. Um, it's just a really, really nice surprise overall, and I, I hope people will go see it. That was part of the big STX slate that they uh, previewed at CinemaCon in April. Yeah. And I saw footage there and all their other stuff, and thought they had a really cool slate of movies. Free State of Jones didn't work out, but it looked good at the time. And this one looked really good, too. Yeah, so, no, uh, I really, I mean, I thought the script was fantastic. I thought Haley was great. Like I said, I wouldn't rule out Woody or Kira. It's probably not going to happen because I don't have much screen time, and mm-hmm. it's such a competitive year. And I just, I, I feel like everyone that I know who has seen the movie has such great things to say about it. And maybe it's just not a quote-unquote Oscar movie, mm-hmm. and it's not getting that buzz, but I feel like it should. Check it out, November 11th also. Are you going to go see it? I'll check it out, yeah. I've got the screenings. I'm just waiting to find time. Well, this is the same <laughs> thing that happened to me. Like, I kept putting it off, yeah. even though I really wanted to see it. Yeah. Because there's all these things, like, you feel obligated to see because they have the buzz. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. You know, you need to know where these people stand. And here is, like, a really wonderful little movie that I sort of, you know, disregarded. And now... if it should have been a spring release. where it, I really thought about that, more traction yeah. somewhere else. You know, if it had done the, um, maybe not quite the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, plan, yeah. but if it had come out early, or in the summer. Lower stakes. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll open and, and do really well. I hope so. We'll see. Um, this week opening, we have Doctor Strange, which neither of us have had a chance to see. No, I completely forgot. It was. <laughs> how did I manage to miss living in Los Angeles that that movie is opening what, this what, week? What you just said. I mean, we're busy doing <laughs> yeah. all this other stuff. We're a little busy. Looks fun. We'll check it out, obviously, with everyone else. Hacksaw Ridge is opening, which we've talked about a yeah, lot. Yeah, we're both big fans of that. And Trolls is opening. Which, which I hear is great. I think you should go see it, people. I would not encourage you to go sober. <laughs> I would I would encourage, you know, a little uh, uh you know, non sobriety. Oh, because you're an animation. Uh fan. yeah, well they screened it there had to have been a reason. Oh, well, I'm I'm doing our round table. Oh, right. But it was a while ago that I saw it and it's just it's really psychedelic and it's got these day glow like colors and like the songs are great. Did you like troll dolls themselves? Come on, no. I mean, I missed that whole thing. I mean, they're too that old wasn't too me. young for that it. That wasn't for me. Yeah, they, they creep me out. They, they freak me out. Yeah, That's yeah. why I didn't know if I wanted to see this movie. Well, <laughs> the movie, uh, it's not creepy, but it's uh, creative. It's visually creative. There's a Studio Ghibli uh, influence going on, oh, really? too, with some of the creatures that they have in it. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, it's look, it's definitely confection. I mean, it's kids are going to love it, and it's not going to like save the world, but it's... I had fun with this movie, and Timberlake's uh, music are great in it. Will he be a song nominee, you think? Probably not, but that song is awesome. Really? You know the the song, right? Can't Stop. No, I have no room in my brain for music. Can't Stop the Feeling. I just sang on my podcast. I'm sitting here with my jaw on the floor that you just did that. (laughs) It's a great song. I interviewed him at Comic-Con about it. It's got like a, you know, off-the-wall Michael Jackson 
late disco vibe. But you don't think, like, I would love to see, like, the original song category be, like, Sausage Party. <laughs> Alan Menken. <laughs> yeah. uh, Justin Timberlake and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah. His song in Moana is fantastic. Yeah, do we even need to, like, have a race this year? Is it, is it well, over? Is La La Land is going to audition. Oh, my audition. God, of course. Audition, I think, is the winner. Oh, yeah, I suspect uh, City of Stars will be sort of the one that people... Uh, gravitate to, no pun intended, but audition is also that's, my favorite. That's like the yeah. peak of the movie, you know. So, and truly is important to the storytelling of the movie, Absolutely. which you know, it's what's going to help her get her Oscar. You know, I remember uh, years ago, Siskel and Ebert. You know, they used to do their "If We Pick the Oscars," mm-hmm. and they were big. Adv- one of them was a big advocate of "Let's Hear It for the Boy" from Footloose <laughs> because they said it is the only song that is integral to the story. Yeah, and furthers the story along. That was back when that was not part of the equation. It was just like, right. let's come up with a pop song and throw it in there. <laughs> We had some drama this week that we should just yes. bring up regarding the Broadcast Television Journalists Association and the Broadcast Film Critics Association, both of which I'm a member of. You're a member of the TV one, too? I am as of very recently. Oh, wow. So um, they like you get grandfathered in like SAG-AFTRA? Uh, I don't know if it was the... like that, per se, but given that I'm going to be covering TV and Emmys more, it was like I, I should probably that. saddle up. Yeah. News all, all around the day. And you've had, I don't know, is issues the right word? Issues with them in the past? I have, and I've been yeah. vocal, and I've always I've always been fair with Joey Berlin, the president. I'll call him before I write something, I'll get his take, and I'll proceed with my thoughts. And what happened here was A&E, the, the BFCA slash BTJA, and Entertainment Weekly have partnered up for like an exclusive content and uh, promotional deal, and Entertainment Weekly is going to be... Uh, exclusively revealing the nominations on their website and it's just a little too much in bed with a single outlet for a number of members who have now resigned Mm -hmm. and it's a big deal because the television uh, nominating committee started deliberating yesterday and the nominating committee narrows down all of the shows for the entire membership to vote for oh really but they lost like seven of the ten members of the nominating committee Mm -hmm. as a result of this so that's a big deal Uh, one of them is our own Deborah Birnbaum I, I, get, I don't know who's left. Uh, I just know it, it was well over half of that nominating committee stepped down. and This is where I got to get in and make a big at. pitch for The Simpsons <laughs> in every it. category. Get in there. But it's, it's you know, I, I, don't, I haven't come to strong feelings about it yet, mm-hmm. but I completely understand everyone else's feelings about it. And, but my view, as I was about to, to get into there, was it's just another in a long line of boneheaded moves that right. they've made that have been, you know, I understand needing to promote the show, the Critics' Choice Awards. But each of these moves have been so sweaty in the optics. Like, last year, after the nominations had already been announced, they sent out a poll saying, hey, if you had seen Star Wars The Force Awakens before you cast your ballot, would mm-hmm. you have nominated it? And according to them, everyone you know, enough people said yes that they wanted to include it as an 11th Best Picture nominee, which was like a scandal. And, yeah. two, and two people resigned as, as a result of that from the BFCA. Did it end up getting a nomination? Yeah, yeah. And there's some question, I think, as to whether it, A, there was actually people petitioning them. Like, they called it an un- unprecedented cry out. Right. We should vote on this. But I don't know anybody who. I was just going to say. I mean, in my them. limited experience, it seemed like everyone was that I knew was against it. Yeah. And also, there's a big difference between picking ten nominees and then later saying, "Hey, do you want an Yeah. Who, an who was the real eleventh nominee? It could yeah. have been like Danish Girl or something. They're probably upset after something like that happened. So it's well, just weird to just tack something on. Danish Girl and Force Awakens are pretty much the same movie. <laughs> yeah, right. So I feel it's safe a wash. And, it's a yeah. wash. <laughs> 
No, but it's like, you know, it clearly a move done because it's such a popular movie right. and it'll help them get ratings for their show. Uh, and did it work? I don't even know. I didn't go yeah. last year. That's right. Yeah, it was the first yeah. year I didn't go because because it was the year they combined TV and film oh. and turned it into like a three-hour show. And right. that's another thing. They want to compete with the Golden Globes, which is a tale they're going to chase into infinity because the Golden Globes have 70 years of entrenchment at a network. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the Critics' Choice Awards want to have a bigger footprint, but they've bounced around to a couple of different channels. They've made moves like this that have cause you know disarray within their membership and you know what can you say it, it, it is what it is and then there was there was an issue with uh, the documentary nominating committee there was uh, a member told me that he was frustrated with that process as well so there's just a lot of yeah just disarray I guess and so you know what was the point of you know forming this organization and putting on an award show because I feel like Critics want to, you know, I, I think it's great that we have critics awards and like mm-hmm. movies that might not get recognized otherwise mm-hmm. sometimes pop up. And maybe sometimes the movies people really do love really are popular movies. But whenever I watch the show, it sort of feels like they're nominating the same things everyone else is. Well, this, it's a big group of people as far as BFCA is concerned. The television side is a much smaller group, actually, but film is like 300 people. So it's always been interesting to me as a watcher of the Oscar race. Because there's no other group that's that big. Mm -hmm. So you can see how things get distilled when you get to like a broad group of people voting. And that's what the Academy is. So that's why often there's overlap. Well, and I also feel like who, all the members I know, not all of them, but a lot of the members I know of BFCA aren't critics. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not a critic. I'm not are you? a critic. Okay. <laughs> so why? What's the requirement to join? Broadcast is the mm. requirement, and internet became quote broad quote, broadcast oh. when it came along. I mean, they they started in 2005. I mean, in 95 or 96, and uh, that was it was like radio people. It was a lot of junk cutters around the country and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was you know Rod Lurie was a founding member when he back oh, really? when he had a radio show. Yeah. yeah. So like. At the beginning, it was a more clear kind of delineation, but as the internet came along, broadcast got a broader definition, essentially. Let's and start the Podcast Bloggers <laughs> Association Awards. Assuming the, the PBAA. Assuming there's not awards show fatigue, which I think is the issue, Oh, my issue, goodness. Ultimately. Already, we're, it's November, wait, what is it, November 2nd, 3rd? Well, this will be airing tomorrow, which is November 3rd. Yeah, and, and I'm already. And the Hollywood Film Awards are this weekend, which, you know. Already? Yeah. Oh, that's right, because isn't that their whole thing? They're, we're the first well, That's what the Gotham Awards, I mean, it's just, everybody's get, got their claim on what the first thing is, and it's just like, stop. That's the other thing. That, that was the other thing that the BFCA did, was they moved their entire calendar up a year after saying a year before right. we voted too early we want to vote on this now they move their entire calendar up a month and their nominations come out on the 1st of December and the show is going to be on December 11th why is everyone so obsessed with being first instead of being quote unquote right because sometimes you can't even or just see unique or different like yeah. in the fray like that that's why I do like the Gotham Awards and it's because they're decided on by a number of small committees five six person committees and you get interesting nominations uh, I don't know. I, everybody wants to ride the Academy's jock. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it is. Everybody wants to be perceived but, as a bellwether, as a harbinger. But the Academy waits until the end of the actual year so they can actually see yeah. all the movies. Well, that's the problem this year. Silence isn't going to screen until December. So Really? Yeah. I assumed it would be doing the, um, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. Nope. Oh, who is, do you know? 
Usually there's a big uh, screening Thanksgiving weekend. I'm not sure. Because uh, Fences is going to start screening soon. Friends, Fences is this weekend. and What's left? Silence? Um, I'm sure we're forgetting it and listeners are screaming at their computers. <laughs> I know right now. Computers. You hey, Chris up on Twitter. Don't CC me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Don't at me, bro. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, it's so the BFCA is not going to see silence in all likelihood. And, you know, like... We're going to hold a vote again? Oh, if you'd seen Silence? No, because it's right. not as popular as Star Wars. This is what I mean, the hypocrisy and just right. the sweaty nature of it all. That is what I think people are railing against. So we have uh, Jessica Chastain on the show. Oh, fantastic. I said last week what a fan I am of She's that She's actually film. coming in right after this. Oh, I'm sorry. I will miss her. You'll miss her. i got to get across One of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, she's fantastic. So stick around for that. She's in Miss Sloan, and we'll be right back. Lobbying is about foresight. About anticipating your opponent's moves. She's your enemy now. And devising countermeasures. How the hell did she manage that? You're a piece of work, Elizabeth. I was hired to win. I use whatever resource I have. You want to lead the fight on gun control? There's over five million of us, and we're armed. Start an inquisition. They will throw you in jail for contempt of Congress! The winner plots one step ahead of the opposition. We have to make it personal. You know the word annihilate? It means reduced to nothing. This is more important than my career. It's mind-boggling. You crossed the line. I'm genius. Bugging and tapping. Completely unbelievable. About making sure you surprise them and they don't surprise you welcome back everyone i'm here with one of my favorite people in the world i hope she doesn't mind me uh flattering her so that's nice <laughs> jessica chastain is here thanks for doing my show i really of appreciate course, it chris thank you so much uh, Jessica's in the new film Miss Sloan, which is premiering at AFI Fest here in LA next week, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, before we get to that, I, I kind of want to talk about Aaron Sorkin, if that's okay. Yeah, doesn't everyone <laughs> want to talk about Aaron Sorkin? Yeah, you're going to be in his film uh, Molly's Game. Yeah, where you're playing Molly Bloom, who had a high stakes poker game mm-hmm. here in town, and numerous celebrities were regulars. <laughs> and uh, interesting world, uh, probably a fun one for Aaron to have written about. And uh, regarding his writing, that's what I want to talk about. When you get that script and you see the dialogue that he's famous for, uh, this kind of crackling rat-a-tat dialogue, does it just make you want to sink your teeth into it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of work, but, yeah. you know, because you can't just show up and go, let me feel what the scene is when I show up. Yeah. No, no, you really have to prepare when you get there because he has a rhythm to his dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you you know, the characters are never really finding the words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of his characters, I think, are smarter than most people. <laughs> and, you know, was it yes? Yeah, it was yesterday morning I memorized 20 pages. Of, oh. I spent hours memorizing 20 pages because... Uh, his scenes, especially there's some scenes with um, Idris Elba and myself, 
they're ten page long scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna be a beast to work on. Yeah, regarding that rhythm, that's why I'm curious because it's it's a little like mammoth. Like everything kind of clicks into place, the yeah. dialogue and that rhythm that that kind of keeping that going. You start filming it uh, soon, but you've worked with him obviously already with the prep. Just as a director, I'm curious what he's like uh, when, as it pertains to that rhythm and, and maintaining that kind of. Uh, yeah. The structure of well, the dialogue, you know. He's never heard me say one line of a script, so really, yeah. I hope when I show up to start shooting, he's going to be happy. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he hasn't heard the words come out of my mouth yet. Uh, I met him first in January, and we talked about the script. We talked talked about Molly, and you know, I have some ideas with her that are just starting to to kind of percolate. Mm-hmm. I really, I think for this film, it's interesting, the idea of someone wearing a mask mm-hmm. and um, putting forth a, um, an idea or a presentation of themselves that really isn't honest of who they are. Because I think there's a lot of um, underestimating Molly and uh, people look at her and then they assume one thing. But she's... She's a perfectionist, and she's always had to be one from the moment she was a little girl. And to never show weakness, and to always show that, you know, she had a com- fierce competitive um, spirit. And there's no mistakes allowed in that kind of living. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's really interesting to me. I mean, it's interest. It's strange to talk about a character that I haven't played yet. But yeah. in the prep for it, I'm thinking of, Mal. You know. The mask, what everyone sees of Molly, and then actually the real Molly, and the idea of those two um, being in each scene. It's interesting because obviously you're playing a real person there, you've, and you're doing that quite a bit lately with the zookeeper's wife. Yeah. You're playing uh, Antonina Zabinski. I hope I said that right. Well, you say when you you say when it's the woman by herself, you say Zabinska. Zabinska, okay, yeah. Zabinska. <laughs> woman walks ahead is an interesting project to me. Carolyn Weldon, yes, the uh, proponent for the Sioux, I guess, is is the best way to say it uh, during the time of Little Bighorn. And you played a kind of a composite in Zero Dark Thirty, but playing real life characters. Uh, there's I didn't play a composite in Zero Dark Thirty. I actually talked to the woman that I played with before I um I I never met her before. Um, I started shooting, but I had um, a lot of conversations Were with Were they her. talking about it in terms of a composite at the time? No, I think there's been so much... Well, I think there's been so much press about... Um, who she was. Who she yeah. was. And there's people who've come forward <laughs> and said that they were the character. Right. Like, that woman has nothing to do with <laughs> the real Maya. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's, it's strange um, f- movie, that, because, of course, the real Maya, it's important that... Um, her identity for her that her identity remain a secret yeah um but the movie is a composite of events right okay but the woman that i played is a is a real person thanks for the correction no of Um, course but playing real life characters there's added pressure added responsibility how do you since you're doing that more and more with these these recent projects uh how do you kind of yeah i think well you know you have to do the research you have to know at the when playing a real sorry i'm going to start over when playing (laughs) a real person and you're looking at a historical event or a, a slice of a, a time period, you have to understand that you're not making a documentary, mm-hmm. right? So it's not necessary for me, I, it's not necessary to mimic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know 
because you can do an impersonation of anyone, right? Mm -hmm. But what's the reason for this film coming at, at the moment now? Why is it necessary that we revisit this character? Um, and so what I usually do is I study as much as I can about the real person, and then I also study as much as I can about the time period and the environment that they were in, and the social commentary of what that of how the, what the film's making, and then mold everything together to create the character. Um, because at the end of the day, I like I said, I it's I have to always remind myself this is not a, a documentary, and I need to serve the story mm -hmm. first. Um, which is a complicated thing. Yeah, I imagine so. I had, some, I had a guest on a few weeks ago, and I was asking the same thing, just finding that balance between you know honoring the truth, but this is a character who serves thematic and dramatic functions uh, in the context of the story, so just striking that balance has to be tricky. Yeah. It's tough, though, too, though, because and sometimes you're signed on to, to play a real person in a film, and, you, I've, and this has happened to me where I've started to do research, and I was like, whoa, 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 this film is it's not going along with the, what I'm researching about this character now I don't understand the point of this film and and then I've I've left the pro, you know project but um, but yeah you always you have to be respectful to the person you're playing but you don't for me I don't want to mimic them because I need to find the heartbeat and the soul of them in the story that we're telling mm -hmm. well regarding uh, you know real life people did you base anything in Miss Sloan on, on, on someone? Yes. Did you Did you model that on a... Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I really... When when I got the script and, you know, I was thinking about it and I was talking to John, I always thought Elizabeth Sloan would wear no makeup and she would um, be wearing, like, the same clothes for, like, three days. <laughs> I just assumed <laughs> it'd be kind of like this messy version of this lobbyist. And then I, you know, I read Jack um, Abramoff's book, and I started to understand the money that was in lobbying, uh, especially if you were a, a lobbyist for hire. If you, not necessarily if you were working for a charity, lobbying for the charity, but if you were at a big firm lobbying, you made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went to D.C. and I talked to eleven women, and I definitely like. I noticed things about how they dressed. There was a lot of black. There was a lot. Of, I could feel there was strength in how they presented themselves to the world. There was a little, a little bit of masculinity almost in, um, like black nail polish. Seven mm -hmm. out of the eleven women I met were wearing black nail polish. Wow. Different shades, like a green black or a red black. But still, there was some something aggressive almost about that. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I I looked at that women working in a field predominant where it's mostly men and how they present themselves. It's like they want their energy to be in the room before they arrive. They want you to hear the high heels. They want you to hear, to like see their strength when they come in the door. I also thought about my agent because <laughs> oh, my yeah. agent, yeah, Hollywood. It's um, there's a a lot of men working in Hollywood, and she looks like a Marvel character. Like she's, <laughs> I don't know if you know Hilda Queeley, but she's yeah. fabulous, and and she has this power in the way she presents herself um, to the world. And um, I kind of so I used the lobbyist in DC, and I used Hilda Queeley <laughs> to quite the um, combo. Yeah, just for the look, not for the personality. Right, right. Uh, just so everyone's aware, it's it, you're playing a lobbyist in Washington. You, I love this character. Uh, mm, you're you. you're like a shark. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because actually that's how I saw her. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, not necessarily a shark as in someone, you know, like in a villainous sense. She knows but what to do and how to do it. She's always moving. Yeah. There's something about her, like even the hairstyle, I wanted it to be like a fin. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like there's mm-hmm. a, it's long in the front and it kind of curls around. I wanted something, her to be like some kind of sea creature where she never stops swimming. She all, is always moving forward. She's speaking fast. She's typing on her phone while she's, she's doing five things at once. Yeah. And um, so it's interesting you say that. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's also a, it's a strong female character that passes the Bechdel test, you know, yes. all this great stuff. <laughs> Do you find that, you know, obviously that is is uh, an ongoing issue, finding strong female lead characters uh, on the page. And are you finding that it's increasingly so? Are things getting better as far as the things that you're running across? Yeah, I think it's getting better. I mean, something I realized yesterday, which I hadn't... Um, thought about this before and I think it's just now that I'm doing press for the film I realized it it's the first time I've played a lead character in like three years because I've been is it? yeah I did The Martian and Interstellar and oh, yeah, Most yeah. Violent Year and but I haven't had the film on you know like it be my character story in a long time mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's because there wasn't a, a character that I I felt was right for me to play and that would pass the Bechdel test or, mm-hmm. you know, be um, uh, someone who would challenge the status quo. I don't know exactly why that is, but I've just now um, realized And now I'm like, when we walks ahead, I'm always playing <laughs> game, it's different. Maybe I just needed a break for a few years. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned all of those films you've been on recently, and I, I think of the filmmakers involved, Chris Nolan and uh, Ridley Scott. Oh, and Crimson Peak, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del yeah. Toro and J.C. Chandor, a great you know new voice, st- still making his way. Uh, what kind of filmmakers are you interested in working with right now in your career? John Madden is the director of Miss Sloan. Yeah, well, John Madden and I have worked together twice because yeah. we did The Debt, and I love I love him, so I'd work with him in a heartbeat. Um, mm-hmm. I I love working with new filmmakers, um, someone at the beginning of their career, someone who has a very strong point of view. I think that's it. That's most of all, it's the number one thing. I want to work with a filmmaker who has a strong point of view. Mm-hmm. That when you watch their film, you can say, okay, I know their point of view on this. It wasn't like there was a studio and directing by committee in, in making the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, now I've, in the past few years, I've decided I'm, I would do a lot of movies every year and, um, my goal is to work with a female filmmaker every year. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to do that as well. Yeah, Liv Ullman. Liv Ullman, uh, um, Amy Mann. Obviously Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow, yeah. uh, Susanna White, Nikki Caro. Who's the filmmaker behind uh, Woman Walks Ahead? Susanna White. Susanna White, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I call that putting your money where your mouth is. You know, people <laughs> t- people talk up a lot of yeah. game, but folks like you and David Oyelowo is, is very yeah. uh, big on that as well. Uh, just wrote a big piece about that, actually, with him because it's a, it's a huge part of what he wants to do. So it's nice to know that that's kind of a mission statement in some way. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I only want to work with one demographic, but it is a, a situation where if you're part of the industry, you're part of the problem. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> either shut up yeah. or do something about it. And so my, my goal is to do something about it. Well, I'm going to jump ahead then because speaking of that, talk to me about Freckle Films. Okay. And what you want to do with that. What's your goal with that? Yeah. I did, you know, it all came about a, a few years ago. I, I don't remember what year it was, but it 
It was at the Critics' Choice Awards, and um, I got the MVP award, mm -hmm. which was for a, a body of work, I guess, for the year. And when it's something like that, you don't know what to talk about because it's not like you're going up there and talking about one particular film, and I couldn't really talk about every film. And it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and everyone was, was feeling very sad because the industry was in a tough place in terms of female filmmakers and... Um, you know, movies with female protagonists and um, African-Americans, you know, yeah. Asian-Americans and so much. So I went up there and I just, you know, in my speech, I just talked about diversity in the industry. And then I went and did some press like the, the next week in London for Most Violent Year. And a lot of the journalists were saying, like, we liked your speech, but what are you going to do now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I realized, like, you know what, you're right. And so Freckle Films came out of that. I just called it Freckle Films because it was the thing I hated about myself when I was a child because it was what made me different. Mm -hmm. I wanted to look like everyone else. And um, I want to, I'm creating this company to um, make a platform for voices that aren't normally heard in the film industry. Mm -hmm. And I love movies. I think you know that about mm -hmm. me. I'm obs I, I see as everything. I see as much as I can. And I love foreign films because I like to see different points of view. Um, and so that's my goal with this company is to create that. And I'm not, in most of the things, I'm not creating things for me necessarily to mm -hmm. act in. It's, it's mostly f to create a platform for others. Is there anything you've acquired that you can talk about? You want to I haven't announced anything yet, but no? there's some really cool stuff. Um, you know what? I've already I have a completed deal. I'm gonna say like something. I'm, is it okay? Yeah, I'm just gonna say it. So there's I've My got hero. <laughs> I've got many things that I've done, but the thing I'm super, I'm very very excited about is um, there's a group of women called the Black Mambas in mm -hmm. Africa, and they protect the animals from poachers, mm -hmm. and they're so badass. And I've recently hired Denai, who wrote um, Ecl um, Eclipsed on Broadway. She's in. Um, and so she's going to write the movie about these women. I'm glad you mentioned that because I knew about that because we How talked about it. well, we talked about it uh, at the oh yeah Independent Spirit Awards. But we were but I hadn't it. hired Denai yet. Yeah. So we closed on our deal. It just hasn't been announced in the paper. Well, you you have it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Breaking news here on playback. Uh, that is an awesome group of women and yeah. a very cool story. Anti-poaching unit in South Africa. And I think I read the story on The Guardian or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's so incredible. I'm and she's such a special writer. I don't know if you saw Eclipsed. Mm -mm. Um, so Lupita um, was the lead of that play, and it was so powerful. It was about um, sex trafficking and sex slaves. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm, I, I'm really excited to see what she's going to do uh, with the material. Great. I'm glad we were able to get that off the ground. Thanks. Um, circling back to Miss Sloan, you know, it's a, it's a film about politics, so dare I ask uh, your thoughts on this election <laughs> that we're finally going to wrap up Isn't in it under depressing? a week. Yeah. I'm so depressed, to be honest. I, uh, every day, I just can't even, I don't even want to look at the news. I was at the gym, which is a rare thing for me this morning, but I was at the gym, and, uh, you know, every television had information about, like, polling or the news, and... I think whatever happens in a week, nothing's good. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the one good thing is all the hate speech and everything that's gone on has really shown how important feminism is mm -hmm. <laughs> and 
that we're a country, we're a very, very young country, and we have a lot of growing to do and a lot of healing to do. And I think a few years ago, most people were complacent and they thought they didn't really talk about racism so much or sexism. And um, now we're talking about it every day. The thing um, that's so sad to me and so depressing to me is that um, more isn't being made of it. Mm -hmm. So I think no matter what the results, happen it's going to be it's going to be a sad day in the united states yeah i find myself wondering if if the country is as divided as it would appear or if you know things like the internet and 24-hour news cycles that play up the extremes Mm. really just present things in that in that way because i think there's a pragmatist streak in the country so I, i i don't see people going into the too many people going into the polls and, and, and into the booth and, and voting for Donald Trump, but you know we'll, we'll see. The polls are saying one thing right now, but I, it's just. I remember I talked to Meryl Streep about this. Sorry for the name drop. Uh, not too long ago, and she mm-hmm. was like, "Yeah, I think they'll just decide, or they'll they'll say, or their wives will say." You know, I'm not gonna. I know, but look at Brexit. That's true. Absolutely. You know, I think you know with, with what happened in England. Eighty percent of young people wanted to remain, and only twenty percent people voted. Without really knowing what was going on. Exactly. And uh, I just hope that young people and those in the United States who feel disenfranchised, who feel they don't have a voice, who feel hopeless, anyone who feels like their vote doesn't make a difference or doesn't matter, I just just don't know what else we can do to (laughs) make it clear (laughs) make it clear their voice matters i mean in england it was the perfect example of everyone who stayed home look at the at the country that now they're living in they are now everybody googled what the hell it was the next day exactly yeah it's shocking but maybe not so much people kind of don't inform themselves yeah uh when you were doing your research about lobbyists i mean these these people like dictate our lives in so many ways mm. you know just with the influence that they have did, did you learn anything that just freaked you out well more than the lobbyists dictating our lives i just money dictates everything yeah. doesn't it yeah and that was so crazy for me to learn when i was in dc and i was in Cap- capitol hill and meeting with congressmen and senators and finding out that they go to s- they go to three fundraisers a day in some cases, in actually many cases. It's crazy. They go to a breakfast fundraiser, a lunch fundraiser, and a cocktail or dinner fundraiser. And it's all to try to maintain their seat in office. And talking to them about it, they don't want to be doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, people don't, they would rather be representing the people, but you have to raise money to campaign. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that just makes someone beholden to the person writing the check and I don't like that <laughs> at yeah. all uh, and that's something our film really explores mm-hmm. I mean yes it talks about the gun debate but for me it's just an ex- it could be anything mm-hmm. it could be climate change it could be about immigration it could be any controversial subject but it all goes to why is it so difficult to get a bill passed mm-hmm. and then you see the inner workings of what that is yeah well like I said it's a great character and uh movie premieres at AFI Fest. It uh, releases in December. I yeah, December 9th. December but 9th, uh, New York and L.A., it's, uh, I think, the week before. They'll get the jump on it. Yeah. And uh, you're so busy. Are you <laughs> able to see movies this year? Have you been able to see anything that yeah, you liked? Yeah, I saw The Witch. Oh, Loved. Yeah. yeah. That girl's great. Yeah. 
Um, Cinematography in that movie was amazing. Oh, so good. Yeah. What else is out? Well, let's see. Stuff that's coming out in the fall, I imagine. You yeah, no, I haven't yet. seen anything the yet. The summer was kind of a downer. <laughs> there was just yeah. the explosion of the superhero thing is is really just taken <laughs> off, you know. I mean, I feel like every guest I have on, in some way, we address it, like the state of the business, the state of IP, kind mm-hmm. of driving the film business. And uh, yeah, I don't feel so. I guess hopeless about the state of the business, but mm-hmm. in terms of you know know franchise or whatever that is because of course when you're turning on the news and you have an election cycle like we've had the one thing you really want to do is escape, escape right yeah. and you don't necessarily want to be challenged yeah and it's kind of great that people are going to a movie and watching that to escape maybe rather than turning on a reality tv show yeah, perhaps. <laughs> because the election i mean that second debate felt in a way like a reality television show and and so i think and it's a more, horror movie with him lurking behind yeah, exactly yeah. so i think that the, the the thing with our industry is we need to provide everything right mm-hmm. we need to provide just this for me i like i want to go to the movie sometimes and just turn my brain off mm-hmm. and just be entertained mm-hmm. i want to go to a movie and ask questions and be challenged um, um, politically or morally i want to go to a movie and be scared i mean there and, and i want to go to a movie and laugh and so i think you know the days that we have all of those things that we're providing it's a good day mm-hmm. um, when because when you think of the option when someone could just sit home and really just numb out by um, watching reality I guess yeah quote unquote <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I still think it's a it's a, it's a good place we are well uh, again the movie's Miss Sloan opens in December uh, again thank you for coming on my show I really appreciate thank it it's you. great to see you as always wonderful to see you really Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to Nocturnal Animals star Jake Gyllenhaal. You've been listening to Playback at Variety.